Hello, everyone. What's going on? Hello. Hello, it's your two best friends, Almost 30 Podcast. (laughs) Krista and Lindsay, welcome back to the show. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you are new to the show, we've had some incredible guests on recently. So if you're coming from uh, other people's camps, we're so happy to have you. This is a podcast where we just have really honest conversations, hopefully to support you in your own evolution. Yeah, some good ones you can listen to. Gabby Bernstein, Jay Shetty, Shanae Alexander. So many. So many. There's some good ones. So go dig into it. can't believe it's been like 300 and now 70 episodes. I know. Huh? 370? 300 and... Okay, today makes 366. Whoa. What? What I don't know why I'm embarrassed by that. (laughs) What are you embarrassed about? I don't know. It just is like... Not a lot? It's a, it's too many. Oh, okay. you know what I mean. Just Joe Rogan has like fifteen hundred. I know that's, that's a good reminder. But it's just a reminder that like I've been there are three hundred and seventy hours at least of me talking. I know recorded out in the world. It's that's gonna be scary. I think about like if and when our kids listen to this. Like somehow Honestly. they find it. No, Should we rip, be on we'll, other planets. We'll rip it. Yeah, we'll, we'll rip, rip it. it by then. Wow, I'm so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna rip it. We are totally gonna rip it. Lindsay and I were laughing. We've had we had a Zoom interview. We've had a few Zoom interviews because we've been, you know, because you know, you guys have you heard about quarantine? Wait, wait, quarantine. <laughs> and it has been hilarious at points just to be staring at an, a freaking face on Zoom for hours. Honestly, I've had moments of severe immaturity where I have to... I'm like choking on any beverage I drink because I'm laughing so hard. And then I have to turn off the video and turn off the mute. And then... It is like Wait, you always over nothing. You always click off like at the end. So we'll be interviewed by people and they're like, oh yeah, you know, it, they're ending the interview and, and Lindsay's like, bye. And then, and then normally you'd like wait and you linger on and be like, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Lindsay's like, click bye. Which is literally so not like you. That's why it's so funny. I know. Because normally you'd be like, oh, I'm going to stay on and talk to them for as long as I need to. Totally. You're like, all right, this is a boundary. Bye-bye. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I've been... <laughs> Trigger happy. It's, it's sometimes when... Because it's sometimes when I'm on Zoom, I start to laugh because I'm like, you're, you're thinking so hard. You're like, <laughs> totally. hello. I was on with like a potential... Just a company that wanted to like talk to us about what what they do. And it was at the end of the day. I know I was like, like do I dirty say to say sponsor? You're like, you know, this uh, it's a company that uh, maybe is interested in what <laughs> maybe we do. We'll and we also have interest in what they do. A company that will maybe send us money in exchange for it. Yes. Um, but this guy was so sweet and had a presentation and it was awesome. Oh, I love that. It was so hard for me to change my face. Oh, I was just I like, know. I was staring at my greasy hair. I was like, what is happening? But oh. bless. No, but I found this video of this woman who did a hilarious little, I don't even know if it's a real or not. Actually, it was on like another website. So let me find out what her name is. But but she, it's basically uh, highlighting a typical phrase we say in Zoom meetings wow. and going off on it. Yeah, and just like piggybacking off of that, just doing a backflip yeah, off of what Abby just said, I agree. And actually just to like catapult off of that, just like hurling myself into oblivion off of that, for sure. And then just like having someone shrink me down and then shoot me out of a slingshot off of that. Yeah, and just like piggybacking off of that. That's Caroline K. Bork on Instagram or on TikTok, I suppose. That's, have you ever seen long-haired businessmen? 
Oh my God, no. Where? It's on Amazon Prime. It's the best. It's like really? a, it's a skit show from Funny or Die. Cool. And it's these <laughs> long-haired businessmen and there's just these guys that like do all that. They'll be in a meeting. They're like, all right, we need to see what's going on with the Torrance group. They're like, we've got to get all our ducks in a row. We've got to <laughs> wrestle the pigs and get them in the in the corner. And we've got to, you know, be strategic about what we're going to do and got to get down with the strategy. And they have these meetings and they don't do anything. And they just use business phrases. Dude, the phrases. Unreal. You know who's king of using phrases? Not those in particular, but repeated phrases is Sean. And I've been like... Dude, that's big facts. Yeah. In finance. He's like, I say that to say... He has these things yep. that he always says. And I'm like, whoa, that is a whole yep. a whole vibe. But he's so good at it. It's like, like, we're going to hit home run with it. You know, it's, And they're always like sports ones too, which are <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Oh, so I wanted to check in on everybody. How, how you doing with Zoom? How you oh doing Oh my God. Well, remember Zooms. we had our... God, we had this live training for Podcast Pro. So... For Podcast Pro, we're doing an accelerator program just to help a really small group of people grow their podcast and monetize. You know, Lindsay and I over the past four years have been done this all on our own and we've done a really good job with it. So we're gonna, you know, hold people's hand through it. And we started our training. I had the freaking background of another <laughs> freaking event. There was on. literally you guys. So we get on the training. It's like hundreds of people, <laughs> hundreds and thousands of people, millions and billions of people. Everyone in the world is on this training. <laughs> Madison Square Garden on this training. And I am wearing a jean jacket and I was like, we tested it. It was fine. And I get on and we had been speakers at another event and it was green screening my jacket. So my jacket had like freaking rosé uh-huh. bottles all over uh-huh. it. And you were like, um, Krista, yeah, you got to turn off your uh, background. Okay, so uh, I was like, what the hell? Because I looked at him like, why does my shirt look like I'm on fire? <laughs> Dude, the background thing is so... Yeah, I've literally been on Zoom calls before where it, I forgot to turn it off. Yes. But yeah, I was like, oh, how are we going to do this? I was like, how does she not see that I there's saw, beverages I, on her I, face? I, I saw it, but I thought it was just me. Isn't it weird when like, we observe things or are aware of things that are completely either wrong or off or whatever. And like our brain like tries to make it logical or like... Yes. You're just like... My brain yeah. was like, think positive. It's just you that sees this. <laughs> Literally, my brain was like, don't worry, girl. It's just you. <laughs> no, it's it's hundreds, of pe- hundreds and thousands of people being recorded. Millions and bajillions. It's, it's everyone. Oh, wow. And I was so freaking embarrassed. So I slammed my laptop down and I hit the road. I said, this isn't for me. I'm giving up. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Anywho. Let's do let's do a little announcement and news, almost 30 stuff before we get into this. This is a really fun one because sound healing is my favorite healing yes. technique. So almost 30, we're doing our new paradigm series. So these are workshops that allow you to go deep in two hours on topics that are super fascinating, interesting, whether it was aliens and our collective mm-hmm. ascension before or dealing with anxiety or energy healing or human design. We have powerful workshops coming up in October and November. Yeah. So this October, we have on October 14th from 5 to 7 p.m. PST, Jazz the Moon Mother. We are going to be doing a human design workshop for your money alignment and purpose. We've had a lot of requests to do more human design workshops. So this one is going to be incredible. And then on October 22nd, 
is Danica Brescia. This is going to be centered around self-care. She is the self-care queen. She just founded the Self-Care Society. So we'll be uh, digging deep into routines for optimal living. And then our healer, Kiki Robinson, is joining us on October 28th for uh, a tarot and psychic channeling workshop. We're going to learn how to do it. Kiki's unreal. You guys have heard us probably talk about her a lot, but she has helped us through this year in profound ways. And so those are all available at almost30.com slash new paradigm. We would love to see you there. A portion of proceeds goes to charity. Yeah. And you can visit our shop, shopalmost30.com. We have our eco-friendly sustainable merch, which has just looked so darling on all of you. Yes. Tagging it. Thank you. And we also have you know programs, courses, downloadables to support you in your evolution. And especially during this time when we have more time at home, when we are kind of like directing our energy inwards and uh, being with ourselves a bit more. And then these can just really help to support you. Yeah. And then we're right now rocking our Podcast Pro Accelerator. Mm -hmm. So Lindsay and I put everything we've ever learned in podcasting and building our business to what it is today in your Podcast Pro. And we are hand-holding a select group of people through the process to grow and monetize their show, which has been a freaking delight. It is like super intimate, (laughs) sharing everything and it's been a blast. So, so fun. All right. Today on the show, we have Dr. Kulari Chowdhury. This one was special. We actually recorded uh, a few months back. So before COVID, just want to kind of say that out the gate. But this one is kind of a timeless, a timeless episode and one that I found so fascinating. We talk about sound healing. So she has a book called Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. And, you know, Krista and I have both had experiences with whether it's sound baths or other forms of sound healing, binaural beats, et cetera, that have really, you know, helped and aided in particular healing. So it was fascinating to talk to Dr. Chowdhury. Yeah, she is. Um, she works in India where she's implementing the use of sound medicine into the treatment of chronic disease and also studying ancient uh, mantras and their effect on people. So this is about sound and mantra, which is really beautiful because these are accessible healing modalities. She is an integrative neurologist, neuroscientist, and former director at Wellspring Health at Scripps Memorial Hospital. And she has been all over the world with her studies. She's so smart. Mm -hmm. And I just found this one to be super fascinating because in my life, I've truly seen profound uh, healing for myself through sound. It has been incredible. And we are all electric beings. We are all affected by, by vibrations. And so the essence and idea of sound is that um, we can heal by having the right type of vibrations match our own personal vibration. But we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, and she also has recordings available too. I just, I love these. So I wanted to direct you to them on her website or you can find them on iTunes. But her website is drcolreetchowdhury.com. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Dr. Chowdhury. We loved talking to you. Yeah, and if this episode just really hit you and impacted you, I'm sure it would do so for a friend or family member. So pass it along and tag us on Instagram. We'll reshare. And we really, really appreciate your support. Subscribing to the podcast means a lot to us. If you want to leave a five-star review, if you love it, we'd love that too. Yeah, we appreciate you so much. We'll see you at the new Paradigm Workshops. We'll see you at Your Podcast Pro. If you want to start a podcast, we got you. And then always, we'll see you on the other side. Love ya. Love ya.
within our community, we talk often about sound healing. And as I've really leveraged it as one of my favorite tools, you know, to heal, um, I've seen such profound transformations with it. So I feel like this conversation in the book that you wrote, Sound Medicine, when it came to my door, I was like, oh, this is, this is what's happening. This is what we should be talking about. This is the information that I want to share with our audience. So we are so grateful to have you here to transmute and transmit and tra- use transmission to share all this information with us. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you mind if I just ask, how did you get introduced to sound medicine? I'm trying to think. Probably, I think living in LA, it's it's an activity that people do often and it's readily available. So I feel grateful for that. Um, but I started to do it maybe two years ago and do it probably once a week when I'm home and do it as like an, a nervous system reset, mm-hmm. as like a calming mechanism, as just a healing modality and just to calm my anxiety in a lot of ways. And it's just been really, really helpful for me. So now at our retreats, we bring sound healers in. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, to just help, you know, really set the stage for everything. But I've literally couldn't say enough good things. I find it interesting that it's many of you know the younger people um, that are rediscovering this, and this is an extremely ancient modality. Mm. But it's younger people who are just um, completely in sync with it, and they're incorporating it uh, very quickly into their lives. And it's 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 a rebirth of something that is so you know so ancient. But the way that it's being born again, just as you said, like. I find it to be something that I can go to as a reset. It's exactly in line with the way that it was written about even 8,000 years ago. I think we, and I think we live in a time where things are so loud, whether it's social media, the news, living in cities, it's loud. And so, you know, while on the other end, if we find ourselves in silence, it's actually quite challenging. We're like, what is what is this? I'm left with my own thoughts. So it's actually been really helpful for me, whether it's, you know, sound baths or binaural beats, mantras, chanting, singing, I sing. So it's like, mm. that has been very healing as kind of like a bridge connecting me over the chaos right. into something much, much higher. And I'm really, what I love about the book too, is just the explanation of the history. So like I'm, learning about the history kind of helps me to up-level the practice of it mm. rather than just like, okay, I'm going to go to one sound bath this week. That should right. be good enough to get me through the week. It's really understanding that this was like a part of daily life yes. and up-leveling and healing and connecting to the divine, right. you know, in, in in cultures for many, many centuries. So Yes, and the divine really within, within ourselves and that sound actually led to that experience of silence one question that um, I got as um, I went to different interviews is, um, you know, can sound ever be harmful? And I said, yes, that's the world we actually live yeah. in. You know, we have lived the harmful side of sound. You know, when I'm asked to give examples, I said, leaf blowers. Like, why do we have leaf blowers? Like, you know, why are we waging a war against leaves? You know, what, <laughs> what have leaves done to us? <laughs> um, and it's just such an awful, awful sound. And we don't really think about the way that sound impacts us, um, you know, negatively or positively. Um, but we're actually implementing all of these new ta- technologies that Im- that impact us negatively. 
And I find it, you know, somewhat sad that the advertising community, the you know, marketing communities have figured this out. And so when you're in certain restaurants, you're in certain stores, they put sound, they put music um, on for the customers that will make them buy more or eat more. But that the health community, the health industry isn't embracing the fact that this has an impact. Um, it could be positive or negative, um, depending on the way that you use it, and that we're not exploring the positive aspects of it. Even though there's you know, very good studies, we're just not embracing it as quickly as um, people who are trying to manipulate you know, shoppers into a certain kind of shopping habit. And what kind of music would manipulate someone into that? Like, What should the music that people be aware of when they're in shopping situations or at restaurants? If you go to most restaurants or if you go to many of the shops, it's chaotic music. And what happens is that when there's chaotic music, your ability to focus and make more rational and logical decisions is, is, is lessened. And if you listen to, for example, you know, many of the, the, the mantras that are played in um, like the temples in India um, or in the sound baths when you're listening to like the singing bowls or gongs, it's non-chaotic. It's rhythmic music. Um, and the, the difference between the two is one has resonant frequencies that are in line with nature and anything that has a resonant frequency that's in line with nature brings you basically more in harmony with yourself. Like when we say, you know, it helps me to connect to the divine. Well, where where is that divine? What are you trying to connect to? You're ultimately connecting to some energy, you know, whether we call it divine, whether we call it nature, you know, whatever the new word is, source, soul, we have so many different labels for it. But it's some energy that ultimately is animating like this physical body. It's whatever that energy you want to call it that's animating this physical body. It's within you. So it's the sounds of of nature, these natural um, frequencies of nature, they help you to resonate with yourself, you know, kind of capital S, the, the part of you that cannot be manipulated, you know, into eating more or shopping more, the part of you that has greater clarity, the part of you that feels connected, you know, to the natural world and yearns to live in harmony with other people and the environment. I'd love to take a moment and just trace back the history of sound therapy mm -hmm. for people who don't know that it goes back so far. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's basically in every ancient culture. And I was uh, surprised because, you know, there were certain cultures where I knew that they had a history of um, sound. Uh, India, of course, given my background, I knew it was, um, you know, heavily steeped in this tradition of sound medicine. Although I have to be honest, I did not realize to what extent. I knew it existed, but I did not know to what extent and just how powerful it was. And then cultures like China, I think, you know, many people would suspect that they're probably doing something with sound. But, you know, I didn't even realize how deeply Egyptian culture was using sound and not just as a form of medicine, but as a form of technology for- In the pyramids. Yes, for architecture. You know, as they're looking at how did they create, you know, some of these structures and how, how, did, they, how did they create tools that were so precise? You know, there's archaeologists that are now theorizing that they were actually using tools that produced sound to create this. And just, you know, there's even in Africa, I mean, there's, Every ancient tribal culture, every ancient culture that still has records of the past, you will find sound as a critical part 
of not just their medical system, but a critical part of their agriculture, a critical part of um, you know society in terms of different ceremonies. So sound was never separated. And in a way, we're still doing that, but we're doing it in kind of trivial ways. You know, when we go to see movies, there's a soundtrack. And why is there a soundtrack? I mean, can you imagine seeing a movie without a soundtrack? You would not have an emotional response, right? Or the emotional response would be significantly dulled. So why is it important that there's a soundtrack to a movie? Or why do people have headphones on in the gym when they're working out? Because they realize that sound has a really profound effect on their mind. They have, it has a profound effect on their body. But we're doing it in all these trivial ways. We're not doing it in ways in which we can actually enhance our lives, improve our lives, um, you know, strengthen our mind, strengthen our body. We're doing it in all of these ways, um, you know, just to kind of entertain us or distract us. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And in the pyramids, it's like, it has the perfect acoustics believed for ascension. Exactly. Which is one of the, the powerful things when we're thinking about rewriting aspects of history is relooking at the pyramids as tools that potentially humans used or potentially extraterrestrials to ascend or to really heal. But in that in that way with the sound vibrations, I think it was maybe doing sound baths, but maybe understanding so profoundly that we are vibrational beings. Yes. And then seeing the effect, you know, I think almost everyone would agree, just like a soundtrack with a movie that it makes you feel. Right. Whether emotionally sad or happy, but then it's funny that people sort of have a block with it healing you yes. or with it like, <laughs> you know, really or brainwashing, I think in a lot of different ways or affecting you in a way that's going to change the way that you you act. And I used to go to like EDM shows all the time when I was younger, I'd go to EDM all the time. And then when I realized how damaging that could be about how like it could really mess up your chakra system, how it could really just create this chaos right. inside your body, I no longer like am able to really like participate, mm-hmm. which has been such a shift for me. Well, that's beautiful that you, you know, had had that awareness. And that's really what I'm hoping that this book will bring out is just an awareness that sound actually does matter. And also the way that we define sound, people think sound is just what you hear. But that's just what we hear as human beings because we have a certain spectrum of frequencies that we can hear. Um, but, you know, other animals, other creatures hear frequencies that we can't hear. So ultimately, when we say sound, we're saying that there are frequencies that we're constantly bathing in. Some we can hear and some we cannot, but all of it is actually sound. And that's the big difference between, you know, Western medicine right now and Eastern medicine is Eastern medicine accepted that we were vibrational beings. They accepted that the human body was a very small part of human existence, that there were all of these other fields, essentially, that when um, taken together, that that was really what characterized um, the human being. And we're, we're slowly, we're slowly starting to move into that direction. And there's an entire new science that I talk about in the book, you know, biofield science that is forcing the scientific and medical community to acknowledge that our current models of the human body, they do not take into account, you know, a, a basic paradigm for why things like acupuncture, why things like Reiki, why things, you know, like meditation work as profoundly as they do. So we're we're inching our ways towards that. And, you know, quantum physics has helped so much in actually revealing some of the fundamental aspects, you know, of the way that um, all matter is structured. But I just find it still difficult to believe that medicine is so reluctant 
to dive into something that has, you know, zero side effects, is an, is it unbelievably, you know, inexpensive, has a tremendous amount of history. It's extremely easy to study. And yet we're still very, very reluctant just because it challenges our paradigms yes. mm-hmm. of what we had assumed was a human being. I think it's reliance on the five senses. You know, I think we have as humans, it's like we only rely on the five senses, yeah. senses and anything beyond that feels beyond us. And I do feel like within the medical community, it would be too easy, in quotes, if we were to use sound to heal and and solve a lot of problems. You know, it's kind of like the rest, water, meditation, sound would be something that would be accessible for all. And that sort of breaks the Mm -hmm. paradigm that we live in in the United States. In talking about that, you know, you mentioned that humans are giant sound conductors Mm -hmm. in the book. And I want to talk about what that means and how we absorb different types of waves. So it's on multiple different levels. You could, you know, start to dissect that. But even just on a biological level, we actually do have these little antenna on each one of our cells that pick up sound waves, that pick up vibrational waves. And as they pick that up, they actually change the biochemistry inside of the cell. So even if we only accept the physical aspects you know, of human existence, even on a physical aspect, we're actually wired to respond to sound. And you know, when you go kind of beyond that, even looking at what is the human being mainly composed of, um, predominantly water, you know, we're 70% water. And you know, there's been very significant scientific studies now that have shown that water does appear to hold memory, particularly with sound. And if water holds memory for sound, and and this isn't just sound such as uh, you know a mantra playing. This is you know when we look at what we have found is that everything is singing, everything is producing a sound. And so when we even record the frequency made by a medication, for example, like mm-hmm. heparin, and then we expose the water to it, and if somebody drinks the water, the water acts as though it is heparin, that it has encoded some information just being exposed to the sound of heparin. And so we are made predominantly of water. And so on on a cellular level, you know, we have evidence that we respond to sound and even just the mechanism of how water interacts with sound and us being composed primarily of of water, it should it should be enough to intrigue the medical community. I'd love to talk about like what we can be aware of as humans and the sounds that could be affecting our mental, emotional, and physical health. That's a great question. And I always start with, you know, focus first on the things that you can control. Uh, you know, because I'm not trying to scare people out of like leaving their homes. And I, I, I'm i just generally not a proponent of, of panic in general. <laughs> Same. Um, and so I don't want people to look at it as um, I'm sick uh, because I live in the city and I've got to get out as soon as possible. And so I say, well, first, let's just start with what do we have control over? Well, the thing that we have the most control over are the words that we say, Right. And I think if anybody has ever been in an argument with a loved one or has walked into a room either with a boss or a colleague and have just been bombarded with negative words, you can attest to how powerful 
the experience is in the body and the mind when you are bombarded with negative sounds, negative speech. And so if we first just, you know, let's say we can't, we can't control the fact that we live next to, you know, a railroad track or that our neighbors have the loudest leaf blower on the block or, you know, that there's um, some, some other sound producing machine or building in the area. Let's at least first just think about how are we impacting others through the sounds that we're making and how are we being impacted by others, by the sounds that they are making. And I have always found that when you become aware of your own speech and you alter that, the people around you begin to communicate with you very differently. So that I would say is, is, is number one. First of all, just look at the sounds you're making and you know, in the world. And then secondly, a mantra practice can be done anywhere, you know, and uh, like sound baths can be created anywhere. And I'm a big believer that the immediate environment that you create, and this is consistent also with, you know, what the what was written in the Vedic records as well as in the Siddha records, that the immediate environment that you create around yourself is more powerful than the external environment created by other people. And so just having a place in your home where you're either meditating regularly or chanting regularly, you're doing singing bowls or, or doing sound baths, that is more significant in terms of the impact it'll have on your, on your mind and body than any external influence can have. I think too, you know, when you're talking about sound and water and us being water, it was also Emoto's book on water, the study of water, that was really profound in seeing how much sound can change the shape and structure of water to make it, you know, more crystalline. So it's beautiful, like a snowflake or hexagonal in its natural state. And then understanding from there, if we're changing the structure of water, we are mostly water, then we are changing ourselves. Exactly. And you talk a lot about how it can actually change your cells. And would that be because of the the cilium that you talked about with the antennas that restructure cells? That's just, I mean, we're, we're only barely starting to understand the biology of sound. And so that's just one of the discoveries. Part of the challenge with science is if you're not looking for something, you're not going to find it, right? And so it's as we start looking for these things, we start actually finding it. Um, and so that's just, you know, one of the things, but in, in ancient traditions, like in India, even today, um, at the end of every spiritual ceremony, there is a liquid given out called um, tirtham. And tirtham is the water that was present during the spiritual ceremony. And then it's handed out to each person. And it's understood that that water has now been charged by the mantras that were chanted during the ceremony. And so you're getting um, a, you know, a, a direct experience on a physical level of the mantras the second that you drink that, uh, that tirtham. And that comes from the ancient knowledge that water has this capacity to absorb sound in a very profound way. And so we are just barely starting to discover all of this. But when you look at, you know, the ancient records, even though many people today don't know why they do it, like they don't know why they're taking this here at them at the end, you know, of these spiritual ceremonies, um, there was at a time the people who, you know, we call them the rishis or the yogis who first had the direct experience of sound in this way, they had such a deep scientific knowledge of why they were performing these rituals. Mm. Wow. 
You've mentioned mantras a few times. So for anyone that doesn't know what a mantra is, could you explain and can can we create our own mantras? Like what would that look like in our everyday? Oh, I love the question you asked. So mantra, when it is translated, a man means mind and tra means through. So mantra literally translates into through the mind. So it's a tool or it's a technology to help you get through the mind. And I love your question of, can we create our own mantras? Because that is something that has become very popular, like, you know, the Nike slogan, like, just do it, right? That that is my mantra is just do it. Well, those kinds of mantras that are human created are for the mind. So they don't get you past the mind. They help to condition the mind. But the goal of traditional mantras is to actually transcend the mind. And so the traditional definition of a mantra is a sound that was not created by a human being, but perceived by a human being in a certain state of consciousness. And that those sounds were actually sounds of nature that became audible, that are otherwise silent, but when you go into deep states of meditation, actually become audible. And then when these yogis, when these rishis then verbalized them, they were known as mantras. And Some mantras are longer, but all of the longer mantras are always composed of what we call bija mantras. And bija mantras are seed mantras. And seed mantras is the core vibration. And so an entire mantra can still be summarized just by the bija mantra. Do you mind if I give you an example? Please. Okay. So at the center that my um, husband and I uh, run in India, every morning we start the day for all of the guests with a sound bath. And so he chants these uh, very ancient Tamil mantras. And Tamil is the oldest language on, on the planet. And so these are very, 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 very old mantras. And so everybody is lying down and he's chanting the mantras. So typically we do one mantra that is, it's a chakra meditation. I mentioned that in the book and it's for just clearing all of the chakras. And that's kind of our maintenance, like sound bath. That's something that we have everybody do. But then when the coronavirus came out, um, we searched um, for what were the mantras that were used to help um, reduce the spread of viral infections. And so the mantra that is used for that, I'm going to tell you the full mantra and then I'll show you the bija mantra in it. So the full mantra is Om Krim Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. So I'll just chant it the way that we do in the class. So it's Om Krim Mahakali Sarvarogam Nasi Nasi. But the Bija mantra in that is Krim, K R E E M, Krim. So if somebody doesn't want to chant the entire mantra, you still have the Bija mantra Krim that could be um, recited. Does that make sense? Yes. And you would see the same benefits? You would see the same benefits because the Bija mantra actually holds the entire mantra. And the question could be, well, then why even do, you know, the full uh, the full mantra? And it's really a question of preference. Like when you understand what the translation of the mantra is, it's a, it's a very, very beautiful mantra. You're basically, you're calling upon the divine feminine energy. You know, you can call it whatever you want, mother nature or, you know, the divine mother, but you're calling upon the divine feminine energy to rid yourself of all negativity, both in the mind and in the body. And so, because a mantra practice is powered 
through the sense of devotion. And so if you're reciting mantras like a robot, it actually doesn't bring the full power to them. But it's in your ability to be able to connect in your heart to that sense of love and devotion that then it actually charges the mantra. And so for some people, chanting the entire mantra, which is what we do, creates such a sense of connection to the Divine Mother. And when we chant it, we actually hold the intention for the entire planet. So initially we were doing it for China and then as it spread, we hold the intention for the entire planet. And so we first just connect with our heart to whatever energy people can perceive as that you know feminine energy that cares for all of creation. And then as you're chanting it, for some, it's just so easy to connect with a mantra that has the meaning, but it's not necessary. Mm. And do you have to, for like specifics, do you have to do mantras for a certain amount of time? at a certain point in Great day? Great question. It's a very, very good question. So for this mantra, we typically recommend about 30 minutes. And so at the center, we do 15 minutes in the morning and 15 um, minutes in the evening. And in terms of time of day, ideally, you know, first when you awaken, you know, after you take your shower, um, and so you can start your day. And then at the end of the day, right? Because those are two times that are really powerful times. In the beginning of the day, it sets the vibration for the day. And at the end of the day, it helps to negate kind of all of the negativity, you know, of the day. And the reason why you do need to do it for a certain amount of time is you're trying to create resonance with it, right? And so that sound is competing in a sense with all of the other sounds that you're bombarded by um, throughout the day, including the unheard sounds of your own thoughts. So you have to do it long enough. And and usually it's between 20 to 30 minutes. I, I usually like to suggest 30 minutes, but usually that amount of time when you're doing something repetitively on a daily basis, it does start to saturate, you know, the subconscious mind. It does start to actually resonate um, within yourself. I found myself, because we do that mantra every single day at the center, I noticed that on the flight here, it was just running through, you know, my mind continuously. Mm-hmm. In preparation for our conversation, I was kind of reflecting on moments where I've felt so deeply moved by sound. Mm -hmm. One instance in particular, it was an extreme example, but it was very profound for me um, in a plant medicine ceremony. And I heard the shaman singing Mm. and it sounded like like a a raindrop falling from leaf to leaf. So for me, that's what it felt like. And it also evoked so much emotion and it also evoked a lot of memories. So I'd love to talk about you know, how sound can evoke emotion, stir, drum up memories, and why that feels good sometimes and why it doesn't. That's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. And what you're describing your experience with the, the shaman is, um, you know, these sounds are sounds of nature. So it's not uncommon where you will suddenly kind of hear, like people often say that the sound of Om is in the ocean, that when you're sitting in the ocean, you'll actually hear that primordial mantra, you know, coming from the ocean. So all these Isn't sounds- is the they, sound of the universe? It's supposed to be the fundamental, mm. it's one of the fundamental vibrations. And so you should be able to, as you know, you become very steady, you'll, you'll hear these sounds actually emanating from nature. Um, so the actual teaching of mantra, you know, meditation and chanting is that it has to be a devotional practice. That when it is not devotional, which essentially just means that you're connecting to your heart or you're connecting to your emotions, it doesn't have the same power. Emotions are unbelievably 
powerful. You know, their potential energy that when it gets released is directly communicating, you know, with with the universe and sound helps to direct that energy. So from an ancient perspective, when they looked at the fields that were surrounding um, the human being, the field that is connected to the heart chakra is the wisdom body. And in order to go further inward to the final sheath that is covering, you could say the soul or the self, um, which is known as the bliss body, you have to pierce from the wisdom body into the bliss body. And so that requires a tremendous amount of energy. So your heart or your emotions are actually the vehicle for being able to pierce that final sheath. And when that happens um, and sound happens to be the the seeds of sound you can say are actually um, found in the bliss body that is from where they originate that when that happens you experience that sense of bliss it's why you know when when people are accustomed to meditating there'll be a point where they just go oh my gosh I, I lost everything and it was just pure bliss and it's a soundless state which I think is very interesting that sound ultimately always leads to um, silence but you'll you'll feel that also from um, you know, artists or different practitioners who have that same capacity that through their, you know, voice, they're able to connect to that that source of bliss. And through their connection, you become connected. Mm. Yeah, it's very, it's it's really profound. And do you think, last thing on the music front, you know, we've talked about just Chris and I about like conspiracies in the music industry where like there are certain beats, (laughs) there are certain uh, beats or vibrations, frequencies that are almost like hypnotizing Mm -hmm. for not a good cause. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say, is it conspiracy or is it just such a lack of consciousness or is it, is Mm. it, is it both? And I'll give an example, like just from a medical perspective, you know, before I, as as a general neurologist, like before I got into Ayurvedic medicine and before I went deeply into this, I was practicing medicine just the way that everybody else was. And was I conspiring to keep my patients sick? Um, No, it was just that was the existing system. Was the existing system created, you know, by somebody at some point to keep people sick? I don't know, possibly. Or are we at just a place where our kind of collective consciousness is so low that that's all that it has access to? And so I feel that a lot of it just has to do with the general state of ignorance in which we live in. You know, people always look at like these ancient societies, like they will look at the Egyptian pyramids or they'll go to these ruins and they'll say, oh, this was a primitive um, civilization because there were no televisions, there were no microwaves. Like we don't see evidence of our modern technology, so we assume that they must be very primitive. What if they had technology such as sound that didn't require, you know, those kinds of instruments? What if their technology was so advanced that you would never have evidence of those kinds of things because they were at a point where they were really working directly with the laws of nature, which would require less stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's it's really hard to say. When I look in my own journey and I look back to the physician I initially was, the, the intention was always the same, you know, to help people. But as my own consciousness grew, I just had so much more clarity about, wait a minute, this is actually harmful or this is an incomplete system. And that continues even now. Like when I look back at 
my years of practicing you know, medicine before I went to India and now the influence of my experiences in India. I mean, I have a repertoire available to me now that I didn't even know about. And so even, even when I was practicing a holistic system in, in the US, it's at, now I look back at it and I go, oh my gosh, that was such a weaker system than what we now have available to. So I think we're always kind of evolving, but we're just at a state right now, you know, as as a society collectively where we're we're re- we're reaching for really limited solutions. Mm, I guess what's an example of people reaching for limited solutions? Like when you say that, can you expand upon that? Yeah. Um I mean a really simple one is uh, starting somebody on a medication before starting them on a diet. You know, yes. um not even taking the time to talk about how exercise and diet impacts mm. things like cardiovascular health and instead just writing a prescription because you know, physicians have to see patients in five to 10 minutes and you can't really connect with a human being and, um, you know, create a healing relationship around that. I mean, so when we look at even the models for our modern healthcare, uh, it's, it's such a it's such a primitive, primitive way of approaching health. And so when you put people into that model, they would just have very, very, very limited solutions. You know, when you talk about previous technologies that people leveraged and like how we think that now this is the most advanced, Graham Hancock, who's an author, he did uh, writings about that, about how there were different um, and more advanced civilizations that had really advanced technologies that were probably beyond us. And Eric von Dyken, who wrote Chariot of the Gods, has in each chapter different historical events that happened in history and how those were more or less more technologically advanced species of humans than we believe there were today. So it's just a different look on that, but I am in complete alignment with what you said. Um, I wanted to talk about, to just um, finish up the conversation about mantras, where could people find mantras? Mm. And like, do they need to be careful that they are, could you get a mantra that's negative? You know, I guess, should people be thoughtful about the mantras that they're taking in and where could they find them? That is such a great question. So in my own research and in my own practice, I've always relied on um, traditions that were very, very old, meaning not something that has been recently created. So mantras that have been passed down from one generation to the next to the next for thousands of years. And in the book, I give a series of Sanskrit mantras, and that's by no means to say there's not mantras available you know, in, in other traditions, not at all. I give those just because they're a very, very reliable source of mantras because they are still practiced in India today after thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I would say that if you're going to start a mantra practice, like make sure that you're you're choosing, you know, mantras that have actually been around for a very long time, have been well studied, that their effects are well known. And most of the mantras that um, are typically given are, they're very, very positive mantras, um, meaning that they are all intended to have a positive effect. One may have more of a positive effect, you know, on wealth. Another one may have more of a positive effect, you know, on health. But my, my own teaching was that all of them are divine reverberations. And so even though you're choosing one for one reason, as you go deep into it, it gives you everything. Does that make sense? So, 
even though you're coming in because of one motivation, as you become joined to the mantra, it gives you everything. Um, but like in Sikhism, you know, there's a um, specific um, mantra, um, Waheguru, and that is also coming directly from like a spiritual lineage. So that, that's my only suggestion. And Buddhism, you know, has um, also specific mantras is choose a lineage that you first of all resonate with, you know, that that is devotional for you. Meaning choose a lineage where when you are thinking about it or you're, um, you know, when, when you feel into it, you feel a burst of love. You feel a burst of devotion. That first choose that. And, um, you know, then to choose something that has some historical validation, you know, for its use. That mantras that were successful tend to get passed down from, you know, one generation to the next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think just the point about mantras, you know, us thinking about creating our own. I think so many people have their own mantras where it's like, I am beautiful. Yeah. I am these things, but it's not really the correct definition. No, that's an affirmation. And yeah. that's mm-hmm. great. There's nothing, first of all, there's nothing wrong with affirmations if you want to stay in the field of the mind. Mantras are for people who say, I'm done playing this game. Every time I do one affirmation, I just find another limiting belief. And if I was to look at all the limiting beliefs in my life, it would be like counting the blades of grass on the planet, that they're kind of never ending, that I'm tired of playing in the field of the mind. I'd like to go beyond it. And that's where a mantra comes in. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with an affirmation. It's it's a tool for the mind. A mantra is a tool for going beyond the mind. So it just depends on what your intention is. Is crazy. Is vocalizing them yourself just, or is listening to them as powerful as vocalizing them yourself? You guys ask such great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you guys this is are, amazing. You're really a wonderful <laughs> interview because you're just asking such wonderful questions. Oh. <laughs> um, so they have different purposes. And uh, so what I was taught in terms of a personal mantra practice that you know you you can first start like the mantra I gave you for reducing the negative influence in the mind and the body that you first do it out loud and then eventually you do it um, softer and softer until it becomes silent and then even as you're starting to do it silently eventually it becomes fainter and fainter and fainter but there are times that you would specifically want to do a mantra out loud when you're trying to charge something okay when you do it out loud um, like to charge water, for example, or uh, like in India, they will charge, they're called yantras. They're these geometric figures that are made out of specific types of metals. And they actually they they actually record the mantra into them. They will absorb the energy of the mantra into them. And then they are used for specific things. They'll be used like in farming um, to help the crops to grow better, or they'll be used to be placed in a home or used to be placed into a temple. For those types of things, you would do them out loud. And for example, like what we do at the center, because we're also trying to connect um, the group of you know guests that are, are meeting us. So we're trying to create a coherence um, between the guests and the practitioners. The practitioners are trying to help them to resonate basically at another level. Then we would do it out loud. So there's purpose for both. But on a daily practice, I would recommend like first out loud until you become familiar enough with the mantra and it gets subtler and subtler and subtler. 
but there are also purpose for doing them, you know, out loud at times. Would you say resonance is like vibration? Resonance is when one thing um, delivers its vibration to another, bringing it back into harmony, you can say, with that initial frequency. So... There's a concept of entrainment and resonance and entrainment are, they're, they're interconnected. We see entrainment a lot in nature. Like when you see birds flying in formation, that's a form of um, entrainment. And when you are exposing the brain to certain repetitive and rhythmic sounds, the brain starts to fire in a particular way. So it, it, it becomes entrained to a particular resonance. So the music or the instrument is creating the resonance and the brain is responding by becoming entrained to that. It's kind of like when you have, you know, two, two tuning forks together and you, you know, you hit one and it starts to vibrate and then eventually the other tuning fork begins to vibrate at the same, um, at the same frequency. Wow. For And part of the sound baths, you know, generally involves bowls and gongs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the bowls are made of crystal and then they have, they're infused with charcoal or emerald or some other stone. Can you talk about what sort of, what's happening and what that technology is that's creating the healing sound frequency. Absolutely. Now, this area is not my specialty, so I can tell you the amount that I do know about it. Um, but um, I, I, I don't want this to be like the end all of the explanation. We're going to cut the whole podcast. It's just this part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the opening quote. This is your opening quote. But when you look at... <laughs> when you look at gemstones and you look at you know different minerals and crystals in nature... They all have a inherent resonant frequency. We have inherent re- resonant frequency. When you go to every organ in your body, um, what we're now finding out is that if you get a healthy cell, you can actually record a resonant frequency that that cell makes. And so all of our cells are literally singing. But it's not just limited to our cells, um, you know, the mineral kingdom, um, all of, you know, all of these things that we are using, like crystals and so forth, they are all singing. They're just singing at a frequency that is inaudible. And so when you infuse them into an instrument that now creates an audible frequency, you're essentially trying to marry the resonance of that particular material, right, to now an audible frequency that is actually perceptible to the human ear. So you're enhancing the effects by using things in the natural world that have frequencies that are known for healing. Mm, Got it. And then just with that, on that point, you know, so if cells have frequencies, if a... I already love your question. Yeah. (laughs) Go, 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 ask it. So so if a cell, so if you have a healthy cell that has a frequency and then you have unhealthy cells that have different frequencies, it would essentially be something that you could do where you would match the frequency or raise yes. the frequency of the unhealthy cells with sound. Yes. This is the whole basis of sound medicine. Oh, people I was just, only knew. I know. Well, and people I, did know. I, I, this hope, is, I hope this book finds its way into everyone's Yes. Because... Everyone's homes and hearts. It's I, just wild. If I people knew, they question. would just realize how cool, yeah. yes. how cool they are. <laughs> yes. Like a body. Yes. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just so much more fun. Life is I know. Life fun is so much more fun when you start to truth. appreciate it on this level. Yes. Um, no, my whole, my, my whole like brain lit up even when you started with the question. Um, because this was a big aha moment 
for me too, as I was, you know, doing the research, and much of my research came from these, you know, very ancient um, Siddha texts that we're working with in India. It was, it, wait a minute, you know, wait, well, why is sound, you know, so powerful? Well, if each one of our cells is, is singing a song, when it's diseased and it goes out of tune, wouldn't the fastest way to get it back in tune is just by having it hear the correct frequency? And that's exact. if you were to summarize sound medicine, that would be the easiest way to summarize it, is you're just bringing your cells on a, on a very, very fundamental level back into alignment with their resonant frequency. And if we could harness that technology, which clearly they did in ancient times, the things that we currently see as incurable and the things that we would consider to be miraculous, they would no longer be miracles, right? Because you would just understand this new science of sound and you'd go, well, that makes total sense. If, if, if an organ system was suddenly given the original resonant vibration of health, it would just return back to health. Mm. But none of our healing systems or none of our current medical systems approach it that way. And even in systems where we are using um, herbs, like in both um, Ayurvedic medicine and Siddha medicine, which are the two oldest medical systems that both happen to come out of India, but even when they were planting the herbs, they were exposed to mantras. When they were harvested, they were exposed to mantras. When the patient took it, they then said the mantra. Because the whole idea was even the herb was trying to bring that resonant frequency back into the body. And so every aspect of of healing used sound medicine on some level. You know, some of it was directly audible to the patient, but even in the way that the herbs were prepared even in the ways that the buildings were prepared, sound was involved. And this I always say, you know, you, you should work with a practitioner because you should only use those sounds for short periods. So when you're using a mantra for a very specific condition, you should never use it for long periods because once the condition is in balance, if you continue to use it, you'll create a new imbalance. So the only mantra for the three doshas um, that, that works on balancing all three doshas at once is um, the chakra mantra that I talk about in the book because it is not trying to balance just one dosha, but it's working on all of the doshas. And so if you're doing something that is working on all of the doshas, it will bring everything into balance. But you are correct. When something is um, very severely out of balance, we will give a a bija mantra that helps to balance, you know, a particular dosha. I love within your, you know, in the book, within your mantra practice, and, and you guys give, you you guys, <laughs> you, give, you guys, you and the crew, you give a great guide to people understanding, working with, and leveraging mantras. And you talk about an altar. Um, and actually, we've never talked about altars on the podcast. So I'd love to talk about how you can build and why you would use an altar. Absolutely. So, you know, an altar by no means is necessary. And I think sometimes when people think of altar, it's a it's a charged word because they immediately think this must be a religious practice. And although altars are oftentimes used in religions, they don't have to be inherently religious. And, you know, as I mentioned before, since the power behind any kind of a mantra practice is the feeling of devotion. Is it's, it's actually having something that activates the heart center, and and this is something that has 
been proven now, you know, by um, organizations like the Heart Math Institute that the heart has such a massive electromagnetic field and that electromagnetic field is larger and more powerful than the one generated by the mind. And so when you activate the heart center through feelings like gratitude, it has a tremendous impact on the mind. So the altar is intended to be something that would activate your heart, you know, and so either putting, um, you know, certain crystals that are known to help to activate the heart or open the heart up or having an image there. And for some people, you know, like if they are um, of the Christian faith, having a picture of Mother Mary may just immediately kind of flood them, you know, with feelings of, of, of love and devotion. For somebody who's Buddhist, it may be a picture of the Buddha, but it's meant to be, help you to create a sensory experience that brings you into the heart because you're competing with all, you're, you're just being bombarded with all of these senses throughout the day. So you're competing with your, your eyes being bombarded, with your, your iPhone, you know, your, your, your nose being bombarded with all of these different smells. And so you, you're trying to like, you know, lighting a candle. It just helps to reduce all of that stimulation, you know, burning some incense or some essential oil. It just helps to purify, you know, your sense of smell and just prepare you to really sink into your heart. Are there particular sounds that will enhance or increase your ability to exert energy, to sleep, to focus? Absolutely. Um, Because I'm I'm thinking about people out there, especially as it relates to sleep, who yeah. find find it really hard to enter into a deep sleep. So are there particular sounds that you there can There is. And I mentioned many of them, um, you know, in the back of the book that these... And many of them overlap because, you know... It's it's kind of like when you're looking at certain vitamins, like, you know, this vitamin has a list of these positive things it does. And this vitamin also has a list of positive and some of them overlap because they're fundamental to your well-being. And so some of them, you know, overlap, but like for sleep, for example, there's a wonderful mantra. Um, and again, you can either just use the Bija mantra, which is Haim. 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 Or you can use the full mantra, which is Om Haim Namaha. Om Haim Namaha. Yeah, or you can just simply do Haim, but that's a wonderful that's a wonderful mm. one for sleep. It's actually a good one for the mind in general. It's a wonderful one to help connect to deeper wisdom. It's um, just great for mental clarity and for relaxing the mind. It's also great for um, creativity for people who are in uh, creative fields. Mm. What would be the perfect day, like a, from a sound perspective? What would be a perfect day for someone? Well, I think the kind of day we actually structure for our, our guests at the center comes you know, to that. And I think we continue to perfect it as we start to use sound in more and more um, ways. But you know, there we, we get up and the first thing we do is we have a, a sound bath where you have somebody that is chanting these ancient mantras and you know, you're lying down and you're just in a receiving mode. And then as like you're going, you know, for your, your your treatments before your practitioner works on you, they're again chanting a specific mantra for healing. Um, and, you know, if if you're not in a center receiving this, it could still be that when you get to work or something, you know, you're 
you just take like five minutes just to set your intention for the day, you know, with a mantra. And then at the end of the day, um, and for our our guests, we we really do encourage mindfulness eating. And so at the beginning of each meal, just to take a moment of silence and again, you know, to to focus the mind and to offer thanks. Again, even if that's not a mantra, you are using the sound of gratitude just through your your thoughts. And then at the end of the day, uh, we again come together as a group and we um, you know, do a, a chant now in a very active way. So the beginning, it's a passive. At the end of the day, it's an active way. So I think that's an ideal... You, know, you, you can translate that from our therapeutic model to your, your, your life of you have some something that you're doing in the morning alone and then maybe as soon as like as soon as you guys come into you know the studio here maybe just for 2 to 5 minutes as a group you just chant something together and set the intention for what is the vibration that you want to be creating here and then as you come back home then you have you know 15 to 20 minute um, mantra practice again alone mm, beautiful yeah love that this has been incredible yeah this is <laughs> so Can amazing you guys have hours. had just wonderful wonderful questions oh thank you you know i have to say i was a little nervous now that i'm uh in rural india that is this translatable like mm, you know yeah, is this course. something that you you know people would have to have the experience of being in a culture where it's you know kind of drenching with with sound and you guys have just taken every single concern um you know out of out of my mind because i'm so impressed <laughs> wow. with the kinds of questions you have asked they're very intelligent thank questions you. thank you yeah this information is just so i feel i feel grateful that we are going to disseminate this information to our audience because it's so profound and it's so important and sound is so accessible. Yes. So it's so simple. Simple. Mm-hmm. It's you very know, simple and that's and what's cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cheap and simple and accessible, which is amazing. I wanted to just my last question, I wanted to talk about just the leaf experiment. I really loved the leaf experiment. And I wanted to just share that with our audience as like an example of some of the magic that we live in. So these experiments, um, they've been repeated several times in history. And the experiment is that the experimenter will take, you know, a picture of a, a whole leaf and using a special type of camera and taking a picture of the whole leaf. You, we know we, we refer to it as different things, as an aura, but there's some kind of a light being emitted. And you know, as we're better starting to understand the electromagnetic fields in the body, we're starting to understand that what has been called an aura before is really just an image of electromagnetic fields within living organisms. So they take a leaf and they first take a picture of the whole leaf. And so you see the full leaf and then they cut the leaf in half and take the same picture using the same equipment. And in the more than the majority of the pictures, you still see the whole leaf. So even when you are taking part of the physical structure away, there's still something else that is intact. And that is in alignment with these ancient beliefs that the physical body is important. It is obviously something that we're constantly interacting with, but we are far more than the physical body. And we have these other fields of energy that are still present, even when physical aspects of ourselves are not. And this makes a lot of sense as a neurologist, like when people would have um, phantom limb pain. Which is what? Sorry. (laughs) You you didn't learn that during your neurology (laughs) training? (laughs) I I must have missed that class. Yeah. Did you miss that class? (laughs) 
So phantom <laughs> limb pain is when an individual would have an injury um, where a part of a limb would be severed, but they can still feel pain in that area. Whoa. Yeah. And it's a very, very, very difficult condition to control. And we've always seen it as, well, we know that the brain is still perceiving that that limb is there, but why is it perceiving it? And we're starting to, you know, uh, understand that because even though the physical tissue has been severed and removed, there's still an electromagnetic connection that is still present that the brain is continuing to perceive. And so, you know, one of the ways we could potentially deal with, it's, it's a vibrational disturbance, essentially. One of the ways we could potentially deal with that is even through the use of, you know, through the use of sound to reset those neurons so that they're no longer experiencing pain in tissue that's no longer present, but still having an electromagnetic connection to it. So we will have to use vibrational medicine to deal with vibrational problems. And so many of my patients were so frustrated when they'd come to see me because I'd be like the 15th physician that they saw because they say, all of my labs are normal, all my tests are normal, but I don't feel good. I feel sick. And I'm tired of people telling me that I'm healthy just because my labs are normal. And so it's really forcing us into a place of saying, clearly there is something that happens on a subtler level than what we can measure when we're just looking at the physical body. And those might be areas, since we don't have any answers for them anyways, those might be areas that we at least give sound medicine a try. Do you feel like there's hope, you know, in traditional medicine to incorporate, you know, sound healing and other more alternative forms of healing? Or do you, what has been your experience as a physician? I'm inherently a hopeful person. Um, If I wasn't a hopeful person, I just wouldn't be able to live the life that I have because I spring from one impossible project kind of to the next. And what always, you know, moves me forward is, you know, this sort of Pollyanna attitude of we're always on the verge of something fantastic and great. And and I think that's a result of a, a you know a lifelong meditation practice. Um, I'm always extremely hopeful. I think that oftentimes great steps forward come from huge challenges like you know uh, the coronavirus. I, I I whenever these things come out, I always look at it as ah here's an opportunity. Here is an opportunity for us to reassess the way that we approach ourselves, the way that we approach life. So I, I'm perpetually hopeful. I will, you know, to the for the last last day of my life, I will probably be just excited for the future. Well, we're so grateful you yeah. came. This has been so profound and powerful. Can you tell our community a little bit about the book and where they can find it? So the name of the book is um, Sound Medicine. And um, today is actually the day that it um, is available. So it's available on, <laughs> on so Amazon amazing. and pretty much wherever you would find a book, you would be able to, to find this one. It is so good. So good. It is so good. We are so grateful you came. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. What a wonderful way to start the book launch. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) We're grateful. Um, Thank you all for listening. And oh, do you have a a place that they could connect with you on social media? Yes, absolutely. It's just my name, Dr. Kulreet Chaudhary. It's my website. And on our website, we have um, all of our social media links. And uh, my husband and I actually did make a CD of the chakra mantra that I was mentioning. And that's available on iTunes. Again, just um, Dr. Chaudhary 
Three um, Chakra Mantra. Great. Oh, you can download and listen to it. Yes. <laughs> On it. It's mine. <laughs> On it. It's mine forever. <laughs> uh, love you guys so much. We will see you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Dr. Chowdhury. That was so beautiful. I'm so glad we could share the power of sound, something that we've been super interested in. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, you can get her book, Sound Medicine, anywhere books are sold. And to learn more, you can go to our website, drcolreetchowdhury.com. That'll be in our show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode, BioOptimizers. As you know, we love their magnesium. Woo More Play, which they now have a vibrator we mm-hmm. love. Um, Osea Malibu, our go-to skincare and drops. So you are using very clean laundry detergent, good for sensitive skin. Yeah, thank you so much. So you can share this episode with a friend so they can hear and get the goodness. Almost 30 podcasts on all socials. We would love if you subscribe to our newsletter. We send announcements, personal notes, tons of goodies. And we will see you every Tuesday and Thursday. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.